Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. In September 2019, you know, back when people could congregate in large groups, I attended the NEAEP Symposium in Saratoga Springs, New York. I was able to see one of the longtime legends in my mind in the hoof care world, Dr. Bob Bowker. I first came across the name Dr. Bowker in 2014 when I was researching navicular after my gelding's diagnosis. Dr. Bowker studied the caudal hoof and took a particular interest in the digital cushion health and how to get the back of the foot stronger, especially in navicular cases. At the symposium, my friends and I sort of cornered him, and after soliciting selfies with him, I asked if he would be willing to be on the podcast. I knew I had a lot of questions for him myself, but I also put a post on my Facebook page and asked podcast listeners to weigh in on questions they wanted to know the answers to. I think Dr. Bowker covered all the questions asked on my post, even if I didn't ask them directly. Dr. Bowker at the symposium said, Chaos keeps me at the level of mediocrity. If I were organized, I'd be a Nobel laureate by now. And I think that's probably true. So although this interview might seem like it jumps topics every once in a while, Dr. Bowker is really so brilliant and I was so fortunate to be able to talk to him for this. Uh, so why don't you start with your name and how you're involved in hoof care? Okay, my name is Bob Bowker. I used to be a professor at Michigan State University in the Veterinary College. I taught gross anatomy for more than 30 years there and at several previous institutions. I'm a neurobiologist by training. Originally, I graduated from the University of Pennsylvania, and then I got my PhD there. And from there, I just went on and studied the nervous system. That's basically what I am, a neurobiologist, as I said. From when I got to the Michigan State University back in the early 90s, late 80s, there was an interest in where the nerves of the, of the horse's foot was, what happens when you put local anesthetic into the foot, what nerves are desensitized and where they go, where they project. And so what they're sensing, it's pain. So I got into that because of my previous training as a neurobiologist back in the late 70s and the 80s, where I'd done a lot of brain and spinal cord transmitter identification and all of that. And as I started to work with the tissues of horses, do the histology on them and all them, I started to realize, well, besides mapping out where some of the nerves were, the transmitters and where the pain receptors are and all of that stuff is, I realized that the anatomy of the horse's foot, what the horse was saying is a little bit different than what was done in the anatomy books. And so the more I looked, the more I realized that all of the feet are different as far as from an anatomical structure. Granted, they all have a coffin bone and a vicular bone and, and a pastern and a DDFT, impar ligament, et cetera, but they're all different. And it has to do with how the foot is trimmed, how the foot is shod, and what the horse is doing. So it's just kind of how the horse's, in there, horse's foot is interacting with the environment and they, these structures do change. Some for the good, and many and most, in my opinion, are for the bad. So the tissues start to deteriorate than most of the horses you'd see. So that's how I got into it. And, it, uh, and from there, it's just snowballed because growing up in northern Maine, uh, I really never saw a horse until I went to vet school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I saw him on television, but I never had an opportunity to ride or anything like that. And then 
when I got to the vet school, they were kind of just this huge creature and all that sort of stuff. So I, I didn't really pay attention to them, but it's only after through my research that where the nerves were and that sort of stuff back in the late 80s and early 90s where I got into it. But when I was at Washington State, just prior to leaving to go to Michigan State, uh, we were starting to do wobbler horses where they had these cervical malformation or the, the narrowing of the spinal canal. And I could map out where, where the damage sites were. And that's kind of how I really got into the horses. And then it just snowballed into the horse's foot and that sort of stuff. So. Yeah. And so where would you say your most, your, your passions lie in studying the equine foot? I feel as uh, I've never considered myself a horse person, even though I've had them for 30 years, is I feel I can help this creature. As a veterinarian, I can help this creature because I do feel now I understand what's going on in the foot, what the foot is trying to tell us. And I believe many or most of how we trim, how we shoe and the like is not in the best interest of the horse. So I'm on this kind of mission before I get to my aluminum walker, I guess I could say. <laughs> and that's because I, I feel I can help the horse. And yeah. I'm hoping to get to owners because I think they're going to be the ones to really change things. A little bit, it's a little bit slow, but just the more education gets out there, the more people who, you know, like trimmers like yourself and other trimmers and farriers, if they really get into the foot, they'll see what they're doing sometimes is not good. And sometimes some of the things they are doing is, is beneficial. And they'll capitalize on doing the beneficial things and try to eliminate the bad things. Because yeah. every, every time you, you've probably realized this and you're trimming, every time you touch the foot, the foot does change a response to what you've done, be the better for good. So, Right. And so I actually, I did a post on Facebook and I was asking trimmers and owners what kind of questions they'd want you to answer. And so <laughs> obviously we have a lot of questions, so we don't have to, you know, touch on all of them, but, you know, I'll kind of go in order of some of the, the ones that people have asked me. Okay. And a lot of it may sound like I would become repetitive, but I've realized, I mean, everyone, veterinarians, owners, trimmers, everyone has a certain condition as being distinct and different. They've pigeonholed them. Okay. And, but what it is, is everything is related. Like uh, why I keep pushing every, everyone's into laminitis. But the back part of the foot is a critical part of preventing laminitis or making laminitis less severe. And most of the horses I see, they don't have a frog. And as a result of that, the coffin bone is very porous. And as a result, their laminitis is gonna be much more severe than if you have a good back foot of the horse. And so everything is related. And that's kind of what I've realized through this. And that's kind of why I keep saying, if you have a, a good trim such that the frog in the back part of the foot develops and grows, most of the problems are going to be minor other than, you know, puncture wounds and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I'm, I've seen that in the conditions that I've been treating over the number of years here. So, okay. So that's kind of the, that's, I'm just throwing that out to you is like, for example, everyone's into laminitis and I mentioned navicutus. They, you can see them glaze over because their horse doesn't have navicutus. But but if you look at the navicutus horse, when the foot hits the ground, it's like you're hitting it with a hammer. And so when you hit it with a hammer, sometimes you'll hit it at the toe, be the quarters or whatever, and these, these tissues respond. And that's why you see so many different problems with a horse. They're, they're all generated by us, you know? So it's just, it's not, we're the problem. So I shouldn't say that too loud, but uh, <laughs> we're the problem. 
So after the introduction and a little bit of context about Dr. Bowker, I started right off with asking him his theory on how the hoof wall grows. Most of us are taught that the hoof wall grows from the coronary band down. So the hoof wall changes you see in the middle of the hoof happen probably four to five months ago, for example. Dr. Bowker has found through dissection and microscopic study that the tubules that make up the hoof wall are more layered the farther down the hoof they are. He says that if the wall simply grew down from the coronary band, they would not have the added layers farther down. Where would they have come from? Dr. Bowker says these tubules come out from the lamina producing wall as the foot grows. So actually, uh, one person was wondering a little bit more about how the foot grows. So I know the theory that the hoof wall grows down from the coronary band and the sole grows from the sole corium. Um, but do you have a different idea of the role of the lamina and how the, the wall and the sole grows? Yes, I do. The purpose of the lamina, that you have lamina on the hoof wall and the bars, and the lamina are, you have a primary and secondary epidermal lamina. And the secondary, it's, like a, it's shaped like a feather. The, the quill is the primary epidermal lamina. Around it, you have the secondaries. And those secondary epidermal lamina, they're just chock full of small cells, epidermal cells, okay? And what happens is these mature, uh, you know, they're immature when they start, but they become more, more mature. And they actually will form the sole and the hoof wall. And I don't believe Mother Nature designed them for loading because the tip of these primary epidermal lamina where the secondaries are, are you have the most immature cells that they're attached to the basement membrane, obviously, but they are the most immature. And we expect all of this tissue to support the horse's weight. And that is, to me, it's a problem, okay? The more mature cells are gonna be on the hoof wall. So the, the young immature ones are what's being stored in the secondary epidermal lamina, okay? Yeah. So, so far, so good. Now, the hoof wall, what the, the lamina do, the two secondaries will come together and they will create a tubule. The key is the creation, generation, creation of the tubule. It's kind of like your parents got together to create you, and when you were born, you were kind of uh, an entity in itself, and you had to be nourished differently, okay? So what it is is in the immature foot and it happens throughout the life of the horse okay where the secondary epidermal lamina as it's maturing the secondaries are in the, the tips of the primary epidermal lamina these will create tubules and what it is is the the tubules are not created at the coronet they are not created at the coronet and grow down okay if it was it would be like if you took a section through the coronet versus the the distal end of the hoof wall you would have more tubules at the coronet. You'd have the mature ones, but also all the immature ones that are forming. But what it is, you have more tubules distally coming from the lamina, the, the new tubules being created. And that's the new tubules and creation is the, the, the key here. They are from the lamina. And once they are formed, they will move out into the hoof wall or what actually is happening, the hoof wall gets thicker, okay? Now, once they are created, the little vascular papillae at the coronet they are feeding the cells at the very top of the coronet of this new, new tubule that was formed. Then it grows down to the ground. It's being pushed down to the ground from the coronet. But that tubule that goes from the coronet to the ground, it was not created at the coronet. It's created from the lamina, the sec primary and secondary epidermal. And that is the function of the lamina, okay? Wherever you have lamina, 
you have tubules being formed, okay? And the hoof wall, these tubules, to me, they're not uh, like iron bars and cement, which a lot of people su suggest that, because they're like pieces of wet spaghetti. And why I say that, I've been doing it since the early 1990s, and I've never been able to do it where I've taken a, a hoof wall at the toe, and I'll take a, a section every four or five millimeters all the way to the toe, so I'll have four or five sections of uh, both the hoof wall and the epidermal lamina and the bone from that all that same sagittal section all the way down to the ground and i can never and the emphasis on never superimpose the tubules from the coronet to the next just three four millimeters away i can never superimpose those tubules because they are moving they're like wet pieces of spaghetti there but the function of them are is to reduce the stresses on the inside of the wall and your, your trimmer, so you know the hoof wall, sometimes you'll have ridges and all that sort of stuff from trim to trim to trim. Yeah. And, the, and everyone talks about the viscoelastic properties, and it's because of that viscoelastic, and that's the, the peanut butterishness of the inner hoof wall. It's always moving and migrating to the hoof, but it moves on the order of microns and millimeters at most. And these tubules that are there that are actually moving, like pieces of wet spaghetti, is it's trying to reduce that stress on the inside of the wall. Where you have a lot of stress, that's when you get a crack. Right. Okay. okay. Now, so far, so good? Yeah. Okay, okay. Now, on the sole, the purpose of the bars are to create tubules. So what happens is where you have the bars and a, lo a lot of the uh, laminar along the quarters, at the sole surface, those primary and secondary cells are creating tubules. Some of them, those are gonna to go to the hoof wall, but you're gonna have a portion of those that are going to go to the sole to create tubules. The bars create tubules that go to the sole of the foot, but the proximal part of them are create tubules that are going to the heels. What it is, if you look at the inside of the hoof wall after you remove the corium and bone and all that sort of stuff, you have the sole you see and you have the bars. The bars are three dimension, where the bars are where the lamina are with the sole. They're creating tubules that are migrating towards the toe. At the proximal part of the lamina at the bars, they're also creating tubules, but they're going to go back and create the heels, the horn of the heels. So the purpose of the lamina are to create tubules, okay? Yeah. And they they are trying to reduce the inner inner wall stress of the of the sole and the hoof wall. And so at the sole. The sole itself, the epidermis, is like a conveyor belt. It's slowly moving forward. From the bars? From the bars and the back part of the foot, yes. And if you look up the inside of the, the hoof, as you get further from the bars, some of those uh, line tubules will arc in the sole. They'll arc towards the hoof wall, and some will go straight, and some will go straight down the mid midline towards the toe. It takes a, it'll take a long time, but they'll eventually get to the, uh, the, the tip of the toe. If you've trimmed... Or if you have a horse and you've uh, and it has a pigmented sole, what you should do is take a picture of it with a ruler and come back, you know, three, four, five weeks, a couple months later, and take another picture, and you'll see that that pigment changes. And the pigment, what it is, it's produced by keratinocytes, and it spits out little small granules, melanocytes. It produces out melanin particles, and that is gobbled up by adjacent epidermal cells. So those tubules, the pigment you see in the sole is migrating, but it'll always go forward and it'll change from every time you trim the foot. You'll, you'll see it. If you see it, you'll see that it's changing just because the sole is migrating towards the toe. 
If you want the horse to grow a thicker sole, do you, are you saying that how you trim the bars will affect how thick the sole might be? It will affect it, yes. There are some people who remove the bars, really trim them. Those horses have problems with their sole as far as generating sole and that sort of stuff. The thickness of the sole, okay, I do not, other than that, I do not know what generates sole thickness, okay? I've never been able to generate, because to me, a lot of them is seasonal. On my horses, sometimes they'll have thin soles. I know it's not there. They are not running around wearing it off more, and we never touch the sole, but usually within a couple of months, it returns. So it's this, like skin has, I don't want to say a seasonality, but they'll have times where a lot of the epidermal cells in a region will grow fast, the skin, like hair of a dog. If you if you shave a dog, the hair will grow back in patches, and that's kind of what I think is going on in the sole. Yeah. And I'm not into drugs. I don't give the drugs to make the sole get thick, because everyone thinks it's blood supply. It's not blood supply. Is the problem. Oh. So it's yeah. you don't think it's circulation related, whether the the sole is thick or not. If it's not diseased, I mean, if it's diseased, it's a problem. The sole is is um, will get thinner. And as a result of the sole getting longer, okay, is if you look at the foot, there's only so much blood going to the foot. And if you have, a say, a, a short toe, the surface area and the corium that's, that supplies that sole is going to be a certain size, okay? And let's just say it'll be small. But in those horses that have longer toes, the same amount of blood is coming to the foot, but it's being spread over a bigger area on the sole, so that's why these horses have problems. The same amount of blood supply is supplying a greater area, but there's a lot of banging of the horse's foot, so the corium and the vessels in the corium of the sole are being damaged. Okay. I mean, but that's why I mentioned before that these, these conditions are all interrelated. Something Dr. Bowker talks a lot about is long toes on horses. He believes that long toes cause a myriad of problems, including navicular issues, thin soles, and coffin bone elongation over time. At the symposium, Dr. Bowker recommended taking pictures of the hooves you're working on with a ruler so you can keep track of the changes over time in the length of the foot. He thinks little changes over short periods of time and a short cycle length is the best option to keep the horse comfortable and stay on top of pathology. For some navicular horses I've seen, and all my navicular horses have a long toe, and it's much longer than other toes are. But the corium underneath the coffin bone has no blood vessels, none. I'll emphasize the word none. There's none there because they've been damaged over time as a result of the banging of the foot, the vibrations, and that sort of stuff. But it's not a specific condition with navicular because I don't believe navicular disease is a specific set of conditions. Everyone says it is, but it's not. It's, every time I look at these horses, I see changes in these two- and three-year-old racehorses that if they progress, they will develop navicular in five to ten years. That's why I keep saying and everyone thinks I'm crazy. But it, but it's it's there. everything is related to how we trim. Right. And the long toe is the, the worst thing you can do with these horses. That's why I believe you should never touch the sole. And I never is a big term. Some people say it's absolutely never. But back in the late 1800s, both vets and fairs were on the same page. They say, don't touch the sole or cut the frog, even if you have thrush with a frog. That's how certain they were of that. And you trim the hoof wall to the level of the sole. Uh, with that now, now, changing the topic again, but it, this is what I, it's something for you to ruminate about when you're putting this together. Yeah. Is that owners, when the trimmer comes by, okay, or a fairy comes by, 
they're trying to save money, so they have the trimmer or farrier come at longer time intervals. I, th I think the foot should be trimmed every three or four weeks during the warm seasons, something like that. Yeah. And it really should be even trimmed shorter, shorter time intervals. But you're not going to remove a lot if you trim it at three weeks as opposed to six weeks. Right. Because what, what I'm going to show you later, if you don't bring it up, I'll make sure I bring it up, is I've learned since I've left the university, I've, I've had um, 35 three-year-old racing quarter horse feet, all from one state, okay? And there's only a handful of tracks at that one state. And what I found that these coffin bones were virtually identical, okay? They're all quarter horses. One thing I've, I've measured a lot, but one thing I'm measuring is where the, the DDFT is, attaches on the coffin bone, the seminal line. From the seminal line to the tip of P3, and all of those 35 three-year-old racing quarter horse, the distance was 31 point something or other millimeters. It was, there was very constant distance. But they're all three years old, all right? Then I've checked my own horse population of bones the quarter horses, as they began to age, that distance started to increase in uh, length from the seminal line to the tip of P3. The width of the coffin bone did not change. It's the same. So what is happening is it gets, I'm getting at that why trimmers have to insist on owners to have them come back frequently, shorter time intervals. Six to eight weeks is too long. Because what is happening is the, the hoof wall is growing longer but no one sees the coffin bone. When the, the hoof wall is growing longer, the coffin bone is also growing longer. The hoof wall is growing. It's pulling the periosteum off the coffin bone a little bit. And when you pull the periosteum off the bone, bone underneath starts to proliferate. It fills in that space. So that coffin bone starts to increase in length at the toe. And it's all around the toe. What it's doing there, as it's increasing in length, it's actually the whole dorsal cortex of the bone is remodeling. Because what is happening, the foot is being loaded different. The biomechanics are changing. Initially, it's very subtle, but over a period of time, it gets more and more demonstrable. So I don't usually love giving direct trim advice on social media, let alone on a podcast where you can't see the horse or the feet at all. Dr. Bauker will spend a good amount of time talking about trimming inside the white line on hooves. He gives the caveat that this should be done in small amounts frequently, so you're not just taking all the toe off at once and making the horse sore. I'm not advocating going out there and just chopping the toes off all your horses. Trimming inside the white line, in my opinion, should only be done if you have experienced trimming and know how to be careful about it. That being said, Dr. Bowker says trimming this way might prove to be beneficial to horses. He talks a bit about how he recommends this technique when consulting with hoof care providers, especially working with navicular cases. All my navicular horses, that distance is from semi-rural line to the tip of P3, instead of being 31 millimeters plus or minus, with the width being the same, is now 44 to 50 millimeters. Which is a lot more. It's a lot more. So the biomechanics has changed. What it is, is the coffin bone is actually remodeling to the different stresses. So that's why it's filled with holes. It becomes osteoporotic. And that osteoporosis is due to the difference in movement between the coffin bone and the hoof wall. Basically, what the forearm is trying to do is trying to stabilize that movement so it doesn't move very much. Where each hole is, you've got a blood vessel going into it. 
but it's also connective tissue going into it. So it's trying to create little adhesions between the hoof wall and the coffin bone to prevent the movement up and down between the coffin bone and the hoof. And so you see this more in navicular horses or you see it in all horses that their their P3 will migrate forward? It's all horses. Because what I've seen in these three-year-old quarter horses, that's they're all the same. Now, I've been to Sweden since I've done that. I go to Sweden every year. They have racing standard breeds. And I've mentioned that to them. So whenever we go over there, I, I get look at bones. And I've, last year, they have the front feet from 40 horses. So I'm slowly getting through them. I got through eight last fall when I went for three days measuring them. The two-year-olds are all the same. When you start to get in three, four, five, six-year-old standard breeds, the toe starts to elongate. You see the same thing. And the standard breeds, they try to get a long toe fast on them so they won't gallop when they're they're racing, okay? And so you see the same thing in all these horses. That's why I, I've really, the last few years, three or four years, I really push it. I always knew they wanted a short toe, but now it's even more dramatic. You want a sh very short toe. That's why you have to trim inside the white line periodically, and I don't know what periodically is. It's I do it every time when my trimmer comes. We do it every time to my horses to keep the toe short, because if you don't come inside the white line when you trim, the toe will always get longer, always. And do you feel that, do you ever see horses that are uncomfortable if you take their, their toe back too fast or too much? The, all right. The key here is that if you trim it, say, six-week intervals, you have to remove a lot more of the hoof to get the hoof to bring the hoof back, right? Right. So if you trimmed it every, say, four weeks, you don't have to do as much. If you find the horse is sore, what you have to do is try to convince the owner, show them how to do it. It's just a few swipes, a single swipe around the toe will keep that foot back. I have this, there's a saying, uh, uh, was it good, better, best? Never let it rest until the good is better and the better is best. If you heard that, it's a... Yeah. All right. That's kind of what it is when you rehab these horses, too, is the way I've been rehabbing these horses. I get these navicular horses, you know, I have a, a navicular to me is just I use the clinical lameness. They're lame in both front limbs. And most of them have radiographic changes along the navicular bone. They also, also most of them have a hole in the navicular bone. Okay. Because when these horses start to get this shifting lameness, the both front limbs, I'm not the first person they call. I'm usually called when they're going to put them down. Yeah. But what happens if you do that trim, you, what you have to do is bevel through the sole and the white line on the solar surface. You don't do it from the dorsal, the top part down. And if you do a little bit every few days, you're trying to get the inside of the foot to change. The hoof is a decoration. I've been saying that for 20 years now, okay? And no one believes, but it is a decoration. And if it's like if you took your, your car to your mechanic and he believed that the most important thing was the hood of the car and the outside of the car, and he polished the heck out of your car. It wouldn't affect the motor. And that's kind of what it is by just trimming the hoof wall, and if you don't allow the ins inside of the foot to change, the problem won't get better. Right. So what you're doing is you're removing a little bit of that hoof from the sole and the dorsal surface, and you have to come inside the white line. I can show you some of the horses we've done. I, I work with trimmers. Yeah. And when I, I tell them if you just do a little bit, like Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of the trim, over you'll see the, the foot gets shorter, but you'll see the frog will increase twice the size. And it be, now becomes an integral part of the working apparatus of the foot. 
So that sort of leads into when you're looking at these navicular horses to rehab, what do you think? Do you think that bringing that toe back is probably the most important thing when you're rehabbing the navicular horses? If you do not bring the toe back, you will never, you won't succeed. You will not succeed. But if you bring the toe back, the owner has a very good chance of getting the horse back. And, and again, if you only do this January 1st, you do your trim. Then you come back February 1st and do the same trim and you do that every month, what you're gonna have is that when you did it, say if you did a, a fair amount January 1st, over that 30 days to February 1st, the foot grows back to where it was, to back to square one. That's why you have to remove a little bit every few days without hurting the horse. And that's kind of what I do, because many of these horses that I've done, they're also insulin resistant too. Yeah. And if you do a little bit every day, you allow the inside of the foot to adapt. And then all of a sudden you'll get that toe very short. Then what you're doing is you're bringing the foot back under the horse because most of these have underrun heels as well. All of them do. And if you do that, you have to bring the toe back, but you're bringing the heels back. And what you'll see is that frog will double in size and the central sulcus is no longer at the fetlock. It'll be on the bottom part of the foot. Then you'll have a sound horse. That's why radiographically 40 years ago, navicular, anything, you know, caudal heel pain or whatever, it was all navicular. And then they did the treatment, but now we have an MRI and we got 10 different things wrong with the foot. But the treatment hasn't changed and that's the problem. Trying to get at really everything is related. As you can tell, navicular seems to be a passion for Dr. Bucker for sure, which is probably why I became so interested in his work years ago. He really believes that these issues in the hoof are all related and we need to look at the health of the internal structures, including the digital cushion, and work on improving these to see healthier feet. Like when I look at these navicular horses, I'll do a lot of work with a navicular bone and DDFT. And that's what all these other people, that's all they look at. But they don't look at the frog or the back part of the foot, the digital cushion. There's so much damage there, it's, it's, it's off scale. And you'll see the lamina are different because the entire foot is trying to recover from the damage that's being done to this foot. And so when you see those feet that have the really weak digital cushion and it seems like the whole back of the foot is just in failure, can you get that mixoid tissue or that digital cushion to stimulate to fibrocartilage or is there a point where that's just it's just too late to no yeah it's not too late most of these navicular horses i've done most of them are 15 to 20 years of age and they've been lame for years again i i'm not the first one to see the horse they've all the, they've seen two or three vets and they just put a shoe on raise the heel and the horse doesn't get better but they don't shorten the toe and they don't bring the heels back and you have that's what i keep saying that's that little poem good better best don't let it rest until the good is better and the best is best. You have to do that frequently, but you're only removing a little bit. And if you just did a few swipes, three or four swipes every other day, you'll get that foot under the horse. And you, once you do that, you'll, as you'll gradually see, you'll notice within a few weeks how the foot is changing. The frog will double in size. The front part of the frog in front of the central sulcus will be huge. And the central sulcus, instead of being at the fetlock, it's down on the ground and it's closed at the back part of the foot. Then you can go into your trimming every three weeks or something like that during the warmer months. And do you okay. see this um, helping underrun heels too? Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. They're all related. That's why they say long toe underrun, it's just manageable. You can't cure it. The people I'm working with, uh, they're, we're curing all of them, you know? Even when I go to Australia, all the people, all the trimmers I work, I, I was part of a trimming school. I just stopped going there. This, this year is the first year I'm not going back just because it's two, it's 40 hours on a plane. So it's just, uh, I'm getting too old for that. So it's just, but these horses be, return to what they were used before. Which is awesome. 
Good. So what about horses that have like a bipartite or tripartite navicular bone or something that they were born with? Are they able to get more comfortable if you get their heel stronger? Yeah, the frog is the key. As you bring the, the heels back and the toe back, the front part of that frog, it gets swollen because that's where the most blood is and all that sort of stuff. And once you see, when that happens, you'll see the horse becomes more sound. Because the, the myxoid cells are not throughout the entire foot. They're in the digital cushion and frog as you know it. And they're on the convex border of the DDFT. But you don't see them underneath the coffin bone nor in the dermis of the dorsal hoof wall. And that's why if you don't rehab the horses to try to engage the frog and digital cushion, you're, you're swimming upstream against the current. Yeah. You'll, you'll never do it. I mean, it's just, I don't see how you can do it. Look at these horses get better. I would say if the horse has a good frog, because that's what the purpose of that whole back part of the foot is, you're doing everything you can. And I would say the horse is not going to be lame very much. If you keep the toe short, it'll, it'll get better. That's what the mixoid cells are doing there. Because you don't find them anywhere else in the dorsal wall or sole. If you ba look back in the turn of the 1800s and that sort of stuff, when you put shoes on, those horses will always have long toes. And so there's, there's going to be a lot of damage created by the, by that. And it's just because uh, I've been, as I've gotten more critical of that, I've, I've been stumbling on my anatomy books from the 1800s. And they're, they didn't have any pictures, but their drawings, they all are long toes and underrun heels. Yeah. Just, just because they don't trim frequently enough. And that's the, the key. If a short toe is a barefoot horse, horses that have been barefoot most of their lives and they've been trimmed, this they'll send me their feet after the the horse dies. I've gotten some that are 30 years of age. They've been barefoot, and their feet look very good. They'll be the the fiber cars and the digital cushion and everything like that is there. But also the vessels, micro vessels underneath the coffin bone are there too. I used to be against the shoe, but I am against the shoe when you have a long toe. That is the. The magnification of the impact and everything like that is, is high when you have the long toe and shoes on them. But I've seen four racehorses that are in their 20s that are just active and they still have their shoes on. But the, this is one farrier who I met a long time ago. And he's read most of my stuff and talks to me every time I go out, out west. And all four of these horses had very short toes. When I, they took radiographs of their feet, their coffin bones were so dense. Again, it's the short toe, and that's why I'm, you know, people have asked me when I spoke at the... Uh, the NEAP conference? Yeah, yeah, that conference there. They asked me, because everyone thinks I'm just barefoot. I am until I saw these horses, because they had a very short toe. And I took, when I took radiographs, uh, the coffin bone was the same density from extensor process all the way down to the toe. So I know what the coffin bone is like. It's no longer remodeling. Everyone thinks the horse is unique because it's got all these, the porosity in the coffin bone. They think it's that's the, that's the uniqueness of the horse. And it's a joke because and they always say the blood flow in those horses is going from the coffin bone to the lamina. If you look at these bones, they're all osteoporotic. There's an osteoporotic hypervascularization. When you have an osteoporotic bone, the vessels are migrate in there because they're trying to replenish the bone that's being lost. Everyone's saying the holes are normal, but no, they're normal because the blood flow is going away from the lamina to the bone. They're trying to replenish, the horse is trying to replenish the bone. Once you start to see coffin bones in these horses that are in their 20s and 30s, there are no holes in them at all other than the, the major vascular ones you see at the distal part, you know, the, the seven or eight of them around the perimeter of the horse foot. But the coffin bone is dense all the way down. Yeah. And that's kind of what bones should be like. 
So do you think that peripheral loading still plays a role in bone loss? I call peripheral loading the hoof, yes. When you hit the peripheral loading of the foot, the hoof, when the foot hits the ground, the hoof is going proximally, but the weight of the bone, or horse is coming down, the coffin bone is going distally, so they, you get more movement, up and down movement between the hoof wall and the coffin bone. The periosteum is trying to stabilize that movement to reduce it as much as possible. So that's when some of the periosteum will go into the bone, and that's when you get the hole. So if you have a trim of foot so not very much of the weight is on the hoof wall, and if you do it frequently enough so you don't half of the time there, the hoof is going to be on the sole, so it's it's going to be greater move. You'll have a very dense coffin bone, and that's a lot of your problems will be gone for the horse foot. You know, we were, we've been talking a lot about navicular, and obviously with a lot of navicular horses, we see those low palmar angles or broken back angles because of that weak back of the foot. But do you have any thoughts on the effects of high heels on the internal structures? I mean, with a low heel, you just have to bring the toe back and the heels back, and you'll correct that, okay? But the high heels, what is happening, the foot is loaded differently. It depends on how high the heels are. But the loads are going through the bone differently, so they're not really using the back part of the foot because the frog in these horses, if they're too high, they're not on the ground. Right. 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 So they're not using the back part of the foot, but the coffin bone is different. You'll see the trabecular on the inside of the coffin bone will be shaped differently, and they're angled differently because most of the forces are going towards the toe, so they'll have other problems. So how do you approach that? Well, if you want to lower the heels, I mean, I think you should engage. the. That's what you have to do. You have to do it gradually. This is a case where you're actually waiting for the internal parts of the foot to change. And again, if you only come back every five or six weeks, you're not going to accomplish anything. You have to convince the owner until you get the foot to where you want it to. Then you can go back to your every three or four weeks or longer. But you have to allow the foot to change. And if you only trim every five or six weeks, it's you trim them on Monday, January 1st. And by February, when you come back, it's going to be right back to square one. That's what the farrier or trimmer has to work out with the owner. Yeah. Because you, you can't charge $100 to come back every few days to trim the foot. Either engage the owner. The, initially, owners, they try to save money, so they try to trim infrequently, have a long time here between trims. And that's the problem. The last part of the interview basically went down a list of questions, since I really want to try to get to everyone's questions for Dr. Bowker. One question somebody was wondering was in regards to side bone. Side bone is the calcification of the lateral cartilages in the hoof. These lateral cartilages are typically a contributor to the shock absorption in the hoof capsule. With that in mind, someone was wondering if there was some correlation to P3 bone loss and side bone due to more forces working on the hoof in general. Another question was about winter laminitis or unexplained laminitic pain in metabolic horses that can occur during freezing temperatures. Dr. Bowker expands on his theories of why this happens. And this is, this is a little bit off topic. I'm kind of going down my list a little bit. But do you see, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about P3 bone loss, but do you see any correlation between that bone loss and side bone or calcification of the lateral cartilages? I, I think this part of it's the long toe. But as you have a long toe, the, the palmar process gets longer. The biomechanics of the foot is changing. And what it is is the load, in like in these three-year-old racing quarter horse, where the, the collateral ligaments of the coffin joint are, the ligament attaches P2 to the coffin bone, okay? There's a little divot there on the side. Yeah. You see, it's in the same spot in these three-year-old horses, same way with standing bridge. But as the toe gets longer, the load goes, this little attachment site goes forward towards the extensor process on the coffin bone. 
And as that's happening, the Palmar process starts to remodel going backwards. So I remember when at, we were at the NEAP conference, you talked a little bit about winter laminitis and your theory on why it develops. So can you talk a little bit about what you think causes winter laminitis? All right. There's what Kellen says about it. I agree with her. These are insulin resistance. It's kind of the hormones that are affecting the vasculature. Okay. When that happens, you can't really do anything with that. And I've gotten a couple. This was an eight-year-old warm blood. I got the fee. It was an insurance case. That, 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 that I got the fee. When I say there's no blood vessels under the coffin, there was no blood vessels at all. And I have a special way to stain for blood vessels. And what it is, is with the shoe and what the horse is doing, it was just beating the snot out of the entire front part of the foot. So all the vibrations and everything were just destroying the vessels. So that's that's the extreme. So in the wintertime, with no vessels there, when the, uh, the horse is out in the cold, the anti-concussive properties of the horn is due to the vessels that are in the tubules of the horn. And if you don't have any vessels, the, the cold goes right through the sole because there are no vessels there anymore. And since there's no blood vessels underneath the coffin, it's just connected. So that's why the, the bone gets cold. And that's why these a lot of many of these horses have varying degrees of that. So it's a morphological winter laminitis thing. So many of the horses that have insulin resistant, many of them had shoes when they were younger. Part of that, there's a lot of damage there. And I'm just, I don't know, the, you don't know the extent of it until you get the you know, the feed off. So there's, there's two factors. It's not just the insulin resistance. There's a lot of uh, a decreased vasculature. And part of that is to keep the coffin bone healthy and warm. And a lot of that's been damaged. The micro vessels that are damaged. When I go to Sweden four or five years ago, when I first started going there, they were telling me that construction workers by law in Sweden, because they're really into uh, health requirements of industry and construction workers, they could not use a jackhammer more than half hour per day. I went back last year and it's down to 15 minutes. And why is that? It, it's the vibration that's causing this constriction of the vessels. The, uh, the health sector, what they use is the rat and the rat has a, uh, an artery in the tail along the ventral surface all the way to the tip, it comes back with veins, and they subject that tail to, uh, I think it's like a 30-second exposure to a vibration. That's kind of what a jackhammer is, say. And then they will test blood flow through that artery and that sort of stuff. And what it is, they've found that when they subject this rat tail to a 30-second exposure to the vibration, the rat tail arteries artery in the tip, remain constricted for three days. So when you get at these horses with these shoes on or, or maybe a barefoot horse on a hard surface, just the banging is the vibration goes right up through the foot. Okay, And so it, it constricts these vessels. And after a while, if they're constricted for a long period, the tissue starts to die. And that's what happens to the vessels. And say if in a healthy horse, you have 1,000 vessels. And when you have uh, problems, you may only have 200. The extreme would be no vessels at all. And yeah. so there's a lot of horses that will have vessels that are you know, damaged and maybe only have two to 500 of these small vessels that are in the foot. So it will vary. When it's real cold, you'll have problems. When it's not cold, you won't have problems. So it's a morphological aspect of winter laminitis. It's not just, I'm not disputing Kellen, but that, that's just hormonal. Yeah.
And when you're talking about the blood vessels, somebody was asking a question of um, if if the circumflex artery is actually a singular vein or artery, or is it a, is it a network of capillaries? No, it's, a, it's a single artery that goes around the edge of the coffin bone, and there's a vein that goes with it too. So when you were looking at the horse that it didn't have any blood supply under P3, was that that the circumflex artery actually didn't? It was damaged. Yes, but you have to remember. Every, everyone talks about the circumflex artery is kind of the major artery in the horse's foot, but most of the blood flow going to the foot, it is designed to stay in the frog and digital cushion. And the reason I'm saying that is because if you look at the anatomy books, as the digital arteries go through the foot, they have a, two branches at each of the level of the small bones, but when they get to the back part of the foot, there's another branch, and most of that blood flow stays in the frog and digital cushion, okay? Yeah. And it's one small artery that goes on either side that goes becomes that circumflex artery, goes around, okay? It goes around and supplies the corium underneath the coffin bone, but what it does, it without a picture, it's hard to figure that. It goes underneath the coffin, but what it does, then it's going through the back part of the foot, the frog and digital cushion. So the blood vessels, the blood flow through the foot is trying to have m many purposes, some of it's for nutrition and all that sort of stuff, but what it does, it's it's mostly for the anti-concussive purposes in the frog and digital cushion. The microvessels I see in the frog, when I say there's a gazillion, that's a very conservative number. There's a lot of these small ones that are five, six microns up to 25 microns, and that's where all the cushion is created and all the resistance is created to get rid of the vibration in the foot. When you put shoes on, those are the ones that are damaged. It's like your aorta. Your aorta carries blood from your heart to your kidneys and your pelvis, okay? But it doesn't do anything as far as reducing the resistance or flow of blood or anything like that. It's, and that's what the circumflex artery is. This enables to get blood flow from point A to point B. It doesn't do anything, though. It's the smaller ones that do all the, the removing the energy, the vibration in the foot. And when you don't have those, all of a sudden the vibration stays in the foot, and that's, it just continues to destroy tissue. Every time the foot is, is being pounded, it's like being hit with a hammer. So that definitely answers that question about the that artery. So this, I've been wondering this a lot too lately, especially because as I've been trimming and, and seeing so many cases of founder and laminitis recently, which when I was growing up, I feel like I rarely saw any. Uh, mm -hmm. And do you have an idea or a theory on why we, we've been seeing such an increase in laminitis and Cushing's or metabolic issues compared to, you know, 20, it's 30, a, 40 years ago. It's what we're feeding them. It's just all the sugars and that sort of stuff. And that's kind of what all these manufacturers are. are and that's, that's why Kellen's group, I think, is, is so important. But it's just to get reduce the sugars, you know? Yeah, and I think I just have two more questions. Um, one is a little bit random, maybe, but uh, somebody had asked if you would comment on it. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, the, the neuromuscular dentistry or, you know, natural balance dentistry and how it how it correlates to feet at all? I'm working with a dentist out west uh, in Arizona, and quite often you have a steep and flared side of the hoof, which is uh, it's an environmental thing, trimming. The horse's teeth are like that too, and it's just because when the horse is moving, their jaws are moving, their mandible's moving back and forth, so they are related. Oh, I mean, it's just so much we don't know. So that's another project I'm doing with him. And it's just, I have to really sit down and think about it because it's so foreign because I, I don't have any expert in dentistry. I know a little bit of the anatomy, but when I really get into it, I see why the teeth, the TMJ joint is related to the feet. 
Yeah, I, that's something I want to explore a little bit more too, but I haven't. Yeah, and so my my kind of final question is was one actually from um, another trimmer friend, and she was wondering how you feel about the progress in our industry in hoof care over time. You know, do you think that we've made progress or how far we've come or, you know, how far we still might need to go in terms of new theories and methods? Unfortunately, a lot of the, and I understand this, you know, we all want some recognition or whatever. They're trying to have their own little unique thing. Uh, and that's their selling point of why trimmer A is better than trimmer B. But if anyone's trimming the frog, I don't, I think that is bad. And vets and fairies back in the 1800s, we're on the same page. Like I said, they don't touch the frog or soul under any conditions, even thrush. I'm not there with thrush, but I've found if you bevel the toe from the sole surface to bring the heels back and the toe back, the thrush disappears as the frog grows. You got some of these extreme groups where the, the hoof wall is the loading structure, and that's just not right. If you just look at horses in the wild, and Gene Ovenek has a Oh, AEP back in the early 1990s, or where he studied feral horses from the Northwest. He had some that were on kind of sand or uh, and grass, and some on shale rock. And the ones, and he even mentioned the ones that were on shale and rock, their hoof wall wasn't on the ground because it was always broken off. And that's what you have in the Southwest United States. A lot of these horses, the hoof wall is broken, so they're on the bottom part of the foot to sole. We've made progress, but I think there's a lot more to go. Just because cause everyone has a long toe, all these trimmers have long toes. I mean, it's just kind of, like I said, you could bet your mortgage, double or nothing, the next horse you'll see will have a long toe and you'll win. And that's the beginning of all these problems. Because when you have a long toe, the coffin bone will grow long, and you got this continuous remodeling and it'll become osteoporotic. So when you have an insult, whether it's laminitis becomes insulin resistant, when you have a little bout of laminitis and you have an osteoporotic coffin bone, the effects are catastrophic. Any horse that has shoes on when, that I've had, that I've been involved in, that develops insulin resistant, it's always not good. Just because the, the bone, the tissue inside of the foot are just so destroyed. So. And one thing I want to maybe put out there for, for people who are, are gonna tune in, how are you measuring how to know that your toe is a good length? You know, I know we talk, you talked a little bit at NEAP about, um, I don't know if you're talking about finding the center of rotation and measuring that way or. At this point is just a kind of a guesstimate I have. So if you're saying, you know, if we basically every trim or every few trims, if we're working at bringing that toe slightly into the white line, then we'll work at bringing that toe back to a healthier length. Yeah. And the key is when the, you see the frog, the front part of the frog in front of the central sulcus starts to enlarge. And two, the entire, that diamond shaped of the central sulcus, and that's yeah. on the ground surface. And the very caudal aspect is on the ground. It's not above the heels. When that, the entire central sulcus is flat on the ground, you'll have a pretty good foot. Thank but, you so much. This has been really cool. I mean, I, I've, Learned so much from reading everything I can that, that you've put out. I've, you know, even put your name into PubMed and pulled up any studies that you've done and tried to read through them. Uh, so it's really cool to get to talk to you. And thank you so much for giving me so much of your time. Well, I'm hoping if I can convince you in the next, you know, few weeks or whatever, I'll be happy. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And um, I really look forward to putting this together. And I know that there's a lot of people who are really interested to see when it comes out. So thank okay, you so much definitely. again. Be good. Take care. Yep. All have right. a great day. Bye -bye. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person, and chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too, so we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.